Morning Gospel Life Church and all those who are joining us online. We're excited to be back together again to study God's Word. Uh, where today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We loved our study in Isaiah, but I'm excited to be back in Colossians again. Our series here in Colossians is titled, A Call to Live All of Life in Thankfulness to God. And as Paul writes to the church in Colossae, uh, even though he's never visited them, he's never been there, um, it was established by a ministry friend of his, um, and so his desire is to communicate to them some of the core truths that they should live in thankfulness for. And, and Colossae seems to be a strong church and a thriving church. And uh, while today, as we're going to see here in Colossians chapter 2, 1 through 5, Paul wrote of his struggle for the churches there in the uh, Lycus River Valley, including Colossae and Laodicea, as we read here in our text, and then Hierapolis, as we'll see in chapter 4, churches that Paul had not visited, cities that Paul had not visited, he is concerned for them. Now, that doesn't mean that, that they're actually struggling with the very thing he's concerned about. It doesn't seem to imply that. And yet, he takes time to make sure that this is not something that they are going to fall prey to. And his concern was that they would trade true unity for a false unity by trading truth for a lie. And here in this text, we're going to see that biblical truth and the true gospel produces true gospel unity, but a false truth, a false gospel, will produce false unity. And rather, Paul wants the believers here to be strengthened through their thoughts and affections. He wants them to be united in love, and he wants them to be confident in their understanding. And ultimately, we're going to be focusing on that here in our text of this unity that he desires to see as they are encouraged, as they are confident in their understanding that they would be united in love. And so our title of our sermon today is Thankful for Gospel Unity. So before we read the text, when we pray and ask God's blessing on his word, Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We pray that today it would uh, enlighten us as to who you are and to your truths. Help us understand here Paul's concern for uh, the church in Colossae and in turn how that concern can be true of us as well here at Gospel Life Church and uh, to those believers who are watching in their churches. Lord, our desire is that we would see churches that stand firm in the that the true gospel, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, as you have revealed him to us, and that we would not stray, we would not alter course from him and his truth. And so I pray as we look at your text today, I pray for the, the other churches in our area as they open up your word today. I pray for Pastor Manuel Sanchez as he opens up your word one more time there at Iglesia Comunidad Salo here in, uh, here in our city in Joliet, that you would just use him, use Use the other pastors as they open up your word in the churches that surround us. And then uh, beyond that, throughout our country here and, and all across the globe, Lord, work work in your church through the faithful preaching of your word, the faithful believing of your word, the faithful holding on to the gospel. May that be true across the globe and may that be true of us as well here today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So if you can take your Bibles and turn, if you have not already, to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen my fa- seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is God's word. This morning, our main point is this. You are to live in thankfulness to God for the gospel unity rooted only in the sure knowledge of Christ. So you are to live in thankfulness to God for the gospel unity rooted only in the sure knowledge of Christ. Here, Paul is seeking to remind the Colossians of what his beloved fellow servant Epaphras has taught them when he established the church that there is true gospel unity, but that gospel unity is only rooted in the sure knowledge of Christ. And so today we're going to look at three questions, and then uh, our fourth point will be how to be connecting that to everyday life. So our first question is, what is the root of gospel unity? And really our main point answers it, but we want to see that in the text. So what is the root of gospel unity? Is the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, or shorthand, the knowledge of Christ. So his desire here, as he says in verse 2, is that their hearts may be encouraged, so that they may be strengthened in their thoughts and in their affections. The idea of a heart here is meant to represent the whole of the interman. And so both their thoughts and affections are meant to be strengthened. That's his desire. But not only that, that they were being knit together in love. And that knit togetherness is this unity that comes, and unity that's meant to be expressed in and through love. In order that what? That they might reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. But that ultimately, that reaching all of that riches means that, that, that in order to obtain this, this has to be the very foundation by which then the others will flow out. Here is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Without this wisdom and knowledge, there's no way really for their hearts to be encouraged. And without this wisdom and knowledge, there's no way to be knit together in love. Why? Because the very foundation of them being strengthened is this very knowledge, is this very wisdom. The very understanding of love is this very knowledge and this very Wisdom. How do we know love? Because God reveals love to us in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what John says in 1 John. So that God is love and the revealer of love. So therefore, at the very core of this gospel unity that he desires and the encouragement that he desires and the assurance or confidence that he desires is this wisdom and knowledge that is ultimately deposited in Jesus Christ. So we have to ask, what is the knowledge of Christ? Well, first of all, I I think we can say with with great confidence, it is all of Scripture. 
It's, it's all of Scripture. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures. And what is this revelation of God of wisdom and knowledge to us? It is His very Word. It is the Word of God given to us, revealed to us. And in fact, Jesus affirms this while He is on earth. In a, in a passage like Luke 24, 27. And here he appears to some disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he begins, and we read in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and then all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, last year we actually focused on this throughout the whole year. We started in, in Genesis and we looked through a number of chapters in Genesis uh, and saw the, the, the pointers to Jesus Christ there in Genesis. Then we went to the Gospel of John and we focused on who Jesus is there in the Gospel of John. And then we went to the book of Revelation and we saw Jesus there. Ultimately, we were presenting the fact that all of Scripture is the knowledge of Christ and is meant to reveal to us Jesus Christ. I like how it's described in Acts 8.35. So Philip is sharing the gospel with an Ethiopian. And it says there in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, and the scripture that the Ethiopian had was Isaiah, the, the, the book of Isaiah. He had a scroll from the book of Isaiah. And so beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Why could Philip do that? Because Isaiah points to Jesus. Why? Because Isaiah is part of the knowledge of Christ. So all of Scripture, all of Scripture is this knowledge of Christ. Yet we can also say the gospel is central to it. Notice how it says here that in whom are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge, and that is described as God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, the idea of it being hidden and the idea of it being a mystery isn't meant to be like there was no way of, of ever seeing anything about it, no hints of it. It was completely uh, hidden, completely understood. That's not really how it's meant to be understood here. Hidden in the sense of, of mysterious and not fully revealed yet, and yet now it is revealed. It's kind of like if you were to look into a foggy mirror. Maybe after someone took a shower and you look in that foggy mirror and everything is distorted. I mean, you can see the shape of a person. You can see the shape of your face, but you, you don't see the details until that, until that mirror starts to, to unfog. And that's really what happens throughout the Old Testament all the way to the New, is that the mirror of God's revelation is unfogging. It's not that it's not there. It's not that Christ's face is not there, but it hasn't been fully revealed yet until we get to the New Testament, until we get to the coming of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of when I was working for a company and they, uh, they assigned me a horrific task, but you know I did it with much vigor. I was a young guy, so bottom of the totem pole, so I got assigned to clean all these dirty machines. And you looked at every one of the machines, and some of them were huge, but they were all kind of a blackish gray. And I went in and I had to scrub them all down and scrape all of the dirt off. And by the end of it, there was, a, there was some that were green and some that were blue and red and yellow. There was one that was black, so it didn't look that much different um, than when it started with the dark gray. Um, but there were all these different colors that were revealed. Um, and so that's kind of what's going on here. That, that throughout 
throughout the Old Testament. The scraping away was happening so that God's plan in Jesus Christ was revealed more and more and more. The gospel is central, and Paul affirms that in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5, when he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul's like, I didn't make this up. This is what has been presented. Now I'm presenting it clearly, that Christ died for our sins. Now notice this, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve, and then to, to, to all sorts of others, and ultimately to Paul. What is Paul saying here with this according to the Scriptures is that it was there in the Old Testament, but it wasn't yet clearly revealed, not as clearly as we see it now, but it was there. That Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised. According to these scriptures, it was hidden, it was a mystery, but it was gradually being revealed as we move through the redemptive history, through the Old Testament, as God is working in history to come to the appearance of Jesus Christ. So the knowledge of Christ is all of scripture, and the knowledge of Christ is central, uh, centered in the gospel. The gospel is central to this knowledge of Christ. And then, under this, what is the root of the gospel? We also have to, have to ask not only what is the knowledge of Christ, but what is the goal of the knowledge of Christ? What is the goal of the knowledge of Christ? And that really is those three things we see, we see at the beginning here in verse 2. That hearts may be encouraged. That there is this strengthening in thought and affection. That if we truly understand and have the knowledge of Christ, that our hearts might be strengthened as God's people. But not only that, that we would be knit together in love, this visible gospel unity. And ultimately, why do I focus on unity here in our text? Why is that kind of the main theme that goes through here? We're talking about what is the root of gospel unity. Well, it's because it is highly visible. And then it's reaffirmed in verse 5 as, as, as Paul says, I, I wish I could be with you, and yet I am still there in spirit. There's this unity that exists. And to be united in the knowledge of Christ, Paul is saying here, is to be united in love. Why is that? Because God is love. And so for us to be united in Christ and the knowledge of who he is and what he's done, and, and, and that knowledge brings forth our affection for him, that is to be united in love. The goal is also to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to know the knowledge of Christ here intimately and personally, so that we might be confident in our understanding of it. There's a confidence that's meant to come when we give ourselves over to the understanding of the knowledge of Christ. Ultimately, this knowledge of Jesus Christ is the very root of gospel unity, our understanding of Scripture, and specifically, centrally, the understanding of the gospel is what unites Christians together. Which leads us to the second question. What is the detriment to gospel unity? And Paul here be begins to allude to this. He ultimately starts talking more specifically about it in, in verse 8, but he alludes to it in verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Here's the detriment to gospel unity is these 
plausible arguments. Now, what distinguishes the plausible arguments from the knowledge of Christ? Well, these are theological or philosophical arguments that are not rooted in the knowledge of Christ, or we could say in the word of God that ultimately brings to light who Christ is. Verse 8 of this chapter, which we'll, we'll cover later, but just to reference it, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and what? Not according to Christ. You see how the knowledge of Christ is so central to our unity, and if we base it on anything else, anything else, we will not have gospel unity. And so some examples of that, the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel does not seek to root gospel unity in Christ. Rather, their unity is rooted around really themselves, their own desires for what they want. And Christ is just the genie in the bottle to get their desires. So the prosperity gospel is not the true gospel and won't lead to gospel unity. The social gospel will not do that either. The social gospel takes some social issue and puts it in the center and pulls Christ away. Now, is it true that many social issues should be important to the Christian? Yes, it's true. It's true. Christians should uh, should decry racism and should decry abortion and should decry the the crumbling of of traditional biblical understanding of marriage between one man and one woman. We should decry these things. We should stand up against them. And yet they are not the central issue that unites everyone. In fact, it's true that I can I can join forces with people who are not Christians, who people from other religions uh, on some of these social issues and stand up against racism and against abortion and for life and for the 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 worth and value of human life. I can stand up with other people on that, but I but I don't have gospel unity with them because gospel unity only comes through a proper understanding of Jesus Christ. And in fact that leads to some heretical gospels uh, within what would be called the Christian church. So prosperity gospel, social gospel the antinomian gospel, the gospel that says, uh, you know, I can, just, I can just claim a belief in Jesus and then do whatever I want after that. You know, Paul even re- refers to that idea in Romans when he said, should we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid it. That is not true gospel life and that does not lead to true gospel unity. That is not a gospel centered in Christ. So an antinomian gospel that throws off any type of of, of godliness and any type of living is not consistent with the gospel of Scripture or Pelagian or semi-Pelagian gospel that sees some type of goodness in humanity that they can bring to the table. Uh, it tends to lead to some type of work-based uh, uh, gospel, work-based Christianity. These are detriments to gospel unity. We cannot find gospel unity there. Why? Because because in a Pelagian or semi Pelagian gospel, what does it do? It replaces Jesus Christ with Jesus and my goodness or my good works or my good heart or something. And there is no room for that in the true gospel. In the true gospel, we see that Christ and Christ alone takes that place. That's why in our main point we say that we are meant to be thankful to God for the gospel unity rooted only 
in the sure knowledge of Christ. The issue is here is that the plausible arguments seek to make the root of gospel unity or of Christian unity less than or other than the knowledge of Christ, and it cannot be. Number three, what are the fruits of gospel unity? He gets, he gets to the fruits here in verse five. So we see the roots of the knowledge of Christ. Maybe we could describe then the, the, the tree is the gospel unity that exists or the Christian unity that exists. And the fruit here he describes here is for though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And here I see three fruits. So the first one I want to mention is this faithfulness to biblical teaching or the good order. Paul says, I rejoice to see your good order. And it has its implied unity here that results in the, in the working together as a church or even as churches. Because again, he's writing to the church in Colossae, but he refers to the church in Laodicea there in verse 1. So this idea of implied unity here that results in the working together of, of a church. So the body of Christ represented in the local church at Colossae or represented here in the local church at Gospel Life. Or, or then as churches work together, as, as faithful Bible-preaching, Bible-believing churches come together and work together to fulfill the mission and demonstrate gospel unity. The second thing we see is this firmness of your faith in Christ, that there's this trust in Christ that does not waver. Gospel unity brings this uh, ability for us to stand together and be firm, unwavering in our trust in Jesus Christ. This kind of goes with what we preached last week about uh, discipline, that part of the responsibility of members in a church are, are to show loving discipline toward one another. Because we, why? We, we want one another to grow in our godliness and, and live like Christ, reflecting Christ in this world. And so if we truly do have gospel unity that's centered around the truths of God's word and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our desire to exalt him and demonstrate him, reflect him to the world, what does that mean? Together, we're going to grow in our firmness and not waver in our faith in Jesus Christ. We're not going to run to other things. We're not going to be tempted by the prosperity gospel or the social gospel or the antinomian gospel or the Pelagian gospel. We're going to help each other see the error of our ways and call each other back to this firmness in our faith in Jesus Christ. And then the one I think I just love to think about this one is when he says, though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit. That's the third one. This unanimity Unanimity beyond the local church. The unanimity of believers, of true believers, of gospel unity that goes beyond the local church. Paul here is saying, I am not there. I am not at the local church in Colossae. I'm not at the local church in Laodicea. I'm not there with you, yet I'm with you in spirit. Now, this he's not trying to imply some type of spiritualism that somehow he's floating over there. You know, I was down on my knees in prayer and my body just went over there to you. No, what is he trying to say? He's, he's trying to imply the unity that takes priority over physically being together. He is, he is with them. He is for them. He is praying for them. He is encouraging them. He wants to know that they are in his thoughts and in his mind. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we seek to pray for other churches in our services. Because we want to encourage them while we're absent in the body from them. Yet we are with them 
in spirit. We are for them. We are encouraging. We're taking them before the throne room of God and, and praying for them. And so again, this implies this unity that takes priority even over physically being together. And that should be good news for us because sometimes we can't always be together. I mean, even in this COVID-type world where we struggle to have that time together, even as a local church, let alone churches working together. What do we see here? We see this, this ability uh, to, to continue to have this gospel unity by rooting ourselves in the knowledge of Christ, by affirming one another, praying for one another. So this is number four, connecting to everyday life. So how do we take this and connect this to everyday life? Well, the first thing I would like to encourage you is to know theology. The knowledge of Christ is biblical theology. It is the teachings of Scripture, and therefore we should know them. As God's people, if you're claiming to be one of God's people, you should know your Bible. So know it by reading your Bible. Know it by studying your Bible. Know it by studying your Bible with other people. Know it by hearing the biblical teaching of others, by reading the biblical teaching of others. Expose yourself to the teachings of Scripture. And now when, when, you're, when you're under the, the teaching of others, you should also explore and make sure what they're telling you is true. Make sure what they're saying is faithful. And if it is, then, then praise God for the blessing of being able to learn that through a, a godly teacher who's able to help you understand Scripture. But know your Bible. Continue to, to explore avenues by which you can know it. Maybe, maybe you say, I don't have a lot of time to read. Well, maybe you should listen to it on your drives. Um, maybe you should memorize certain passages so that you're able to think over them when, when you're doing a menial task or something like that. Uh, just utilize the, all the different ways you possibly can think of to get, to get the input of the Bible into your life so that you might know theology, know the knowledge of Christ, because the root of gospel unity is the knowledge of Christ. Say anything, live in gospel unity through your church. Live in gospel unity through your church. And I think the, the primary application of, of Paul saying rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness is the local church. But in turn, it could be even broader to churches as well. But I think the main, the, the main application there is within your local church. Within your local church in Colossae, I am rejoicing to see your good order and firmness. Or your local church in Laodicea, I'm rejoicing to see your good order and firmness. And then it can expand out. As churches, as you work together, I rejoice to see your good order and your firmness. But what does that look like? What does it look like to be a part of the good order of your local church? Well, here at Gospel Life Church, we understand it to mean this, that we're protecting the unity of your church by acting in love towards others, by refusing to gossip, by following your leaders, that you're sharing in the responsibility of your church by praying for its members and by praying for its growth, by attending faithfully and by giving regularly that you're serving the ministry of your church by developing a servant's heart, by using your gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve, that you're supporting the testimony of your church by living a godly life, by warmly welcoming visitors, by sharing Christ, and by making disciples. These are the ways that you can be a part of the good order in your church. 
But he also says that you're to grow in the firmness of your faith in Christ. And I think that we have to understand, why does our church exist? Our church exists so that we might grow in our faith in Jesus Christ and be firm in it. The church is not a country club. It's not a friend's hangout. And it's not an entertainment venue. This is God's people gathering for God's glory so that we are here to exalt Christ by glorifying him and enjoying him. We come here to know and to know together so that we might stand together in our glory, glorifying of our God. And the third one I would say is this, that you should pray for and encourage biblically faithful churches and believers. Paul's desire was to encourage both the Colossian church, the Laodicean church, and ultimately this probably went on to uh, the church there in Hierapolis. Um, and then ultimately it goes on beyond that. I mean, God gives us this letter of Paul to Colossians so that we as a church might be encouraged. And so we can see from the example of Paul that we should be prayerful and, and, and encouraging of biblically faithful churches and believers. And that should be the case within our life. We should continue to pray for one another and encourage one another. And I hope that is the case, both within the local church that you're praying for, encouraging one another, but then also those churches in our area, those churches around the world, some of them that we have connections to, um, but maybe some of them you have, you have connection to personally. I hope that, that you're encouraged by this to pray for and encourage them in their uh, mission. So here we see God's call to us through the writing of Paul, that we should take this, this encouragement, this concern that Paul has for the churches, and we should live out true gospel unity rooted in, rooted in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these truths. I pray that you would use us, use us as an example of unity and love to a world that is desperately in need of seeing both unity and love, and that we would not do it at the expense of our Christianity, somehow think that unity can trump truth and it be okay, but rather we would see that it is only in Christ and in the knowledge of him and in his truth that we truly can experience and express this knit together in love, this unity in love, that we truly can then as people be encouraged and be confident in our understanding. Uh, Lord, may that, that pour over in fruit. May, may we continue to see our church grow in both in the good order that we represent ourselves and the firmness of our faith in Christ. Oh, may it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're so glad that you did. I'm going to read our benediction here uh, for the month of July, and it comes from, uh, for the month of June, and it comes from 2 John 3. And it says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Truly, the Son, Jesus Christ, is the only means by which God gives grace, mercy, and peace. As you heard about the knowledge of Jesus Christ today, uh, maybe you say, well, I need to know more about Jesus Christ. I would like to hear more about him. I would like to hear about how he did come and how he did 
uh, die and how he did rise again. But we'd love to talk to you about the gospel. Um, so uh, we have contact information here at the end of this video. Uh, please contact us. We'd love to share with you more about this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have any other questions, prayer requests, whatever, please reach out to us. We would love to be praying for you. We'd love to talk with you about any other questions you might have. God bless.